This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including the Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, please go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Michael Warren. And Michael, you've been one of four people actually paying attention to what's going on with President Obama's budget. So tell us, what is it? Uh, it's really depressing when you put it that way. But, uh, well, you know, you've got this budget that the president offers to Congress, and he does it every year. And, of course, Congress, particularly when it's a different party, uh, usually ignores it or you know, tries to uh, figure out what they're going to do, and that's completely different from what the president puts forward. The president's, I think, trying to do something here, which is uh, uh, which is kind of tease out some things, some uh, disputes within the Republican Party about what to do about immigration. And he's trying to say, look, if you don't uh, fund the Department of Homeland Security, the Republicans don't really want to do that because it, it would fund the executive order on immigration. Uh, the president says, if you don't want fun of that, then, then, then you're playing politics with with national security, and I think that's a, a real problem uh, uh, that Republicans can find themselves in if they don't push back against this. And if they don't say, "Listen, you're the one who's playing politics by uh, by by not listening to the people, not listening to the last election, and pushing forward on this executive order," so I'd, I'd be interested to see if Republicans have the intestinal fortitude to move forward on that. I'm I'm a little skeptical. Well, two quick questions before we move on to some other things. One is. Do you believe that there is an easy-to-understand explanation? Because I understand it, but then again, you and I do, you know, we're weirdos compared to the average voter. I get that they can absolutely fund DHS, uh, Homeless Security, and leave this chunk unfunded that has to do with implementing amnesty. Can they explain that in a way that a typical voter will buy it? Number two, do you think they... Just from a just standpoint of pure political guts, is this a group of Republicans up on Capitol Hill that are ready to fight that fight? Because if they're going to surrender without even bothering to fight, well, then they must just surrender on everything. You see what I'm saying? Well, there, there's, there's a bill that just passed the House, uh, is, is up for consideration in the Senate, that would do exactly what you described, which is fund everything about Homeland Security that, that uh, Republicans and Democrats agree is important except for this executive amnesty. And, uh, and, and if, that, if they can get that through the Senate and they can get a bill on the president's desk, uh, then I think that really changes a lot of things uh, in terms of the, the, the nature of the debate. And, and all of a sudden, President Obama has to say no to, to that. And I think that is a, a place where Republicans should be putting a lot of their focus and energy, trying to peel off some of those red state Democrats like Joe Manchin on this issue of immigration. And, and I do think it is a real question about whether the Republicans are willing to have this fight. I think there is a real divide within the party about what to do about immigration. I think there are some Republicans who uh, maybe they don't agree with President Obama's executive action in practice, but they agree with the policy. And I think that uh, is, in, uh, is in great contrast to what, say, the grassroots uh, of the party feel, and, and ultimately the leaders in Congress will follow what their conferences, what the elected members want. Uh, so that is where I think a lot of times 
it requires voters to, to sort of call up their representatives and, and, you know, make it known that this is something that, that they actually care about. Well, like every divided government budget from a president, this one is dead on arrival, at least everyone since Ronald Reagan got some budgets through, and people tend to ignore them. But, Michael, as you know, they absorb every bit of political gossip when it comes to presidential politics. And a couple of interesting developments, starting with, uh, how the the new word of the day is vaccines, thanks to Chris Christie giving a what is what is it they say an artful answer to a question about whether or not vaccinations should be mandatory. Yeah, it sort of feels like this is a political discussion from many years ago, like we're in a time warp or something. You know, it, it's a very strange answer for for Chris Christie to give, although it's it's one he's apparently given before. You go back to two thousand nine when he was running for governor, and he you know sort of talked about whether or not this was a choice for parents to give their kids these vaccines. Um, of course, people have pointed out that even as recently as last week, the White House was basically giving the same answer that Chris Christie gave about parents needing to balance the choices of parents and, 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 and the interests of public health. But I, I, this is a really uh, a silly way for Republicans to go, uh, you know, people who want to be the Republican presidential candidate, to start speaking out and saying, well, you know, Maybe there, there, there is a reason to, to, to wonder if parents should, should perhaps uh, not vaccinate their kids. I mean, this is, this is ludicrous. Uh, it's a public health issue. And, uh, but I, can see, I, can, I suppose I can see why some Republican voters might be uh, interested by these kind of ideas that, uh, that they're sort of anti-government. And there's an idea that, that maybe the government shouldn't be mandating these things. But for the sake of public health, I think, I think most people realize uh, vaccinating your kids against some of these diseases that we've uh, gotten rid of is, is a good idea. But Mike, there's a political screw-up here. The anti-vax movement is not largely a creature of the right. It's these latte-sipping limousine liberals who drop their kids off at prep school in uh, San Francisco Bay or west side of Manhattan who you know think that their precious snowflake is just too wonderfully perfect to ever have such a dirty disease and so they're not going to put that evil uh, vaccine in his or her arm and this is so I don't understand where Christie's going here I get Rand Paul you know libertarian he's got some some buttons he's got to push but Chris Christie's a guy who has no hesitation using the government to tell people what to do and all of a sudden he's found the line and it's your MMR vaccine that's what's so weird about it you're exactly right it is a a sort of I think of it more of a California new age sort of hey you know we, we don't want to put toxins in in people's bodies and that's why we don't want to you know in, intoxicate our kids with these terrible things uh, but it, it is a strange thing it's an odd thing it makes me wonder uh, what exactly Christie is is thinking? Uh, you know, he's he, by the way, he was in London when he said this. This is this was uh, he's on his trip to London that he took to go see Arsenal, which is the English Premier League uh, soccer team or football team as they call it over there. He wasn't watching the Super Bowl after his beloved Cowboys weren't weren't uh, weren't in it. So it, the whole thing is is kind of a bizarre uh, display for a guy who wants to be the president of the United States. And it also has a, a reputation as sort of a tough you know, truth teller who, who's not afraid to, to sort of uh, tell tell it like it is, even when when people are uh, you know are, 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 are like the anti-vaxxers and sort of insistent on uh, on their position. So it's a really strange thing, and it's captured the political media. I also kind of think it, it's going to fade away uh, in, a, in a few uh, weeks and months as we hear more about some, some of the more serious presidential candidates. I, I absolutely agree that we will not be talking Vaxgate or anything you know, weeks from now. But it is a yet another 
odd moment for Chris Christie. And I'm, I have a theory to run past you, uh, Michael, which is that Chris Christie is the Republicans' larger, better quaffed version of Joe Biden. He's just a gaffe machine by nature who can't get out of his own way. And even if you find some of the straight talk charming, watching a guy step on his things that shouldn't be stepped on over and over again doesn't build a lot of confidence for a presidential candidate representative of a national party. I think there's something to that. There's there's also been a shift in Chris Christie's political public persona. In the early years of his governorship, he was really sticking it to the teachers' unions and, and really, said, again, those those sort of tough truths that uh, needed to be said. Uh, and in the last three years, it's really seemed to be a, a different Chris Christie that's come around. A guy who, who gets really excited about going to see Bruce Springsteen and getting to meet Bruce Springsteen and getting to hug the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, his childhood you know, uh, dream team. And, and the whole thing, it seems like he's, he's sort of using his position to uh, outlive his uh, his uh, childhood fantasies, and it's a little strange. Uh, I'm not entirely sure where this fits into this, but uh, I do think he has a problem with discipline, uh, which would put him in, in the Joe Biden camp of undisciplined, uh, loudmouth uh, politicians. But hey, those guys can get elected too. Uh, and then that brings us to another comment from a guy who makes me wonder about his seriousness, and that is Mike Huckabee saying in a conversation about uh, same-sex marriage, etc., not only do I have gay friends, but I have friends who listen to classical music and go to the ballet. And I'm thinking, okay, how many cultural stereotypes can you touch on your way around these bases, uh, Governor Huckabee? And I find it harder than ever to take seriously the notion that the Republican Party in 2016, with all of the options you've got, all of these credible conservatives, it's not a squish versus whatever, it's credible conservatives. Is the Republican Party going to really turn to Mike Huckabee? And I've got to assume that Mike Huckabee and his social conservatives friends know the answer is no. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your head explode here, Michael. I actually think Mitt Romney had... Uh, a, a real good and smart insight in his decision not to run on Friday, which is he pointed out that the, the next generation of Republican and conservative leaders you know, deserves their chance. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in, that, uh, in that point he made. And, and in many ways, you look at the, the, the race as it was supposedly shaping up with Mitt Romney getting in. Jeb, of course, is still getting in. Mike Huckabee, these are all guys who, who were last in elected office, you know, uh, close to eight, nine, ten years ago. And I think that uh, you're you're right in your in your inclination that that uh, folks like Mike Huckabee, you know, provided a lot of interesting, uh, I think, important things on economics in the 2008 presidential campaign. Uh, probably don't have much to say uh, here heading into 2016. Uh, I think people like Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, even Rand Paul or maybe a little more representative of where the debates uh, ought to be for the Republican primary in 2015 and 2016. And speaking of Scott Walker, he seems to be the flavor of the half hour, not even the flavor of the week, uh, because of some straw polls and uh, and some polls that have been taken. Where, where is Scott Walker in the mind of Washington Republicans? Have they got him out there as just kind of one of the nameless nobodies who's going to get crushed by Jeb, or do they see something there that could be used to unite the party and get the establishment and the grassroots on the same page? You know, people in Washington don't get out much. So uh, if if you ever shake them out of their comfort zones, they're really surprised and and shocked to find there's this whole other country 
out there outside uh, <laughs> outside the Beltway. Uh, I, I do think you know Scott Walker did come to Washington on on Friday and and spoke to a group and, and made the case for himself. I think a lot of people were surprised to see uh, him do so well in Iowa at that uh, at that sort of cattle call that was uh, in Iowa a couple of weeks ago, and uh, people were really surprised to see this guy who has you know won three elections in the last four years. Uh, who has fought against the unions, you know, actually had a good pitch for himself and, and, and was uh, appealing to these Iowa voters. Surprising that the neighboring governor of the neighboring state would appeal to Iowa voters. Um, but but I think that uh, people are sort of waking up to the fact that this guy who's, you know, doesn't have a college degree, isn't the most charismatic, actually does have something to say. And, and more importantly, for the Washington Republicans, uh, has a sort of uh, formula for, for winning. And that's what really Republicans in Washington care about is winning. And, uh, you know, Scott Walker has won uh, middle class voters, uh, you know, the, the same type of voters that were voting for Barack Obama in uh, in 2012 uh, uh, were crossing over to vote for, for Scott Walker as well. So I think uh, they see a lot of potential and, and they want to see more, obviously, and there will be other candidates to pop up. But you're right. Scott Walker is the flavor of the month, flavor of the moment right now. And uh, we'll see if he can sustain it. Well, uh, for those of us who want to uh, remind the Republicans of the one truism that they should never abandon, stay out the bushes. I'm very, very hopeful that Scott Walker or somebody else will step up their game. Mike Warren, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.